Back on the High Motor Podcast, Chase Kitty, kind enough to drop by again. And and we're going to see some movement in the playoff rankings for sure on Tuesday night. Alabama goes down. They're done. I know that you and I don't love playing the they're out game unless it's so obvious. And yes, kind of like after Oregon's loss, I'm sure we could sit here and say if all these six different teams lose, maybe they could be in. But for all intents and purposes, they're out. Minnesota is done. Both are going to finish 10-2. Both don't win their division. Both had a chance. I think Minnesota better chance than Alabama if they would have won out. So we can toss out those two teams. I think we can shrink the field of contenders entering conference championship weekend. Those final rankings before the final rankings are going to be coming out on Tuesday night, 7 o'clock Eastern ESPN. Also late on Tuesday night, really quickly after those rankings, I will drop the midweek episode of the show. Chase will be back breaking down conference championship lines, some FCS playoff lines we'll talk about too. And then, like I mentioned last week, I'm going to have Eddie George on the show, too, so that'll be a good one. Would love to have you back. So, Chase, top 10 of the playoff rankings. It will remain this week. It will stay Ohio State 1, LSU 2, Clemson 3, Georgia 4. And all year, you've been giving us what the rankings should look like. We both agree that that's what the top four will look like. But in your opinion, should the top four look like that? Yeah, uh, I, I don't. I, I think we've gone back and forth the last few weeks about Ohio State versus LSU. Uh, I think you can kind of put either one at one and two at this point. So I don't have a problem with Ohio State at one at this point. I don't have a problem with LSU at one at this point. I'm fine with the top four the way it is. I think it'll stay like that. I don't think we're going to see any movement until after next week. Yeah, and we're not going to see like Georgia drop that far and and Utah hop them after beating both similarly bad opponents. Same thing with Ohio State. They beat Michigan. No way they drop. I think that there could be some movement. If LSU looks really good in the SEC championship game, maybe they could hop to one if Ohio State wins a close one versus Wisconsin. But for now, that's going to stay the same. So five down is where I have absolutely no idea. And if anybody tells you they know what's going to happen five through ten, they're just lying to you. So here's my best guess, uh, five through ten. Again, Ohio State one, LSU two, Clemson three, Georgia four. We both agree that's what it should be. We both agree that's what it will be. Number five, I think Oklahoma hops Utah here they didn't look I mean they looked okay in in Bedlam they didn't look great but they still beat a team that was in the top 25 last week so the playoff committee has thought fairly highly of Oklahoma State I think Oklahoma State would probably drop out with this loss but still they, they beat an Oklahoma State team that the committee has shown some love to so I think they do hop Utah, even though Utah looked perfectly fine in, in smashing Colorado. So I think Oklahoma will hop to five. I think the the gap between five, Oklahoma, and six, Utah, is extremely small. And then I have Baylor at seven, Wisconsin at eight, Alabama nine, Penn State ten. Where am I wrong there? Um, I, I, I think you might be wrong on Oklahoma. So you think the gap right now between six, uh, excuse me, yeah, six Utah and seven Oklahoma is just too big for a a decent bedlam win to hop that. I think that the committee pigeonholes themselves if they make that move now, right? Because next week Utah is going to play Oregon and Oklahoma is going to play Baylor. 
And Baylor is more highly ranked right now than Oregon. So if everybody wins out, you have to keep Oklahoma ahead of Utah if you make the move this week. If you make the move next week, you have the freedom to go either direction with it. But they they give themselves less options if they make that move this week. So no matter how good Oklahoma were to look in beating Baylor, no matter how good Utah were to look in beating Oregon, let's say like that, that that Oklahoma wins a close one, Utah smashes Oregon. So you're saying if we put Oklahoma ahead of Oregon this week, or ahead of Utah this week, no matter what the margin is in those two wins, if both those teams win their conference championship games, you still can't then move Oklahoma behind. You don't care what the margin of victory is in those games. I don't want to say I don't care, and I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but if if you have Oklahoma ahead after this week and they beat a more highly ranked team, like I don't know how you then jump Utah back ahead of them, even if they win by like 40 points. Like I, I It's really hard for me to see. Uh, and especially when you consider the depth that the Big 12 has had in this top 25 ranking all year. Like, that's the one thing the Big 12 has kind of had going for it. It's had outside positioning for the top 10, top 15 for basically all season, but it has had four or five teams ranked for most of the rankings. So that's really the only asset that it's had. Uh, So I I think when you consider that and you consider giving Oklahoma inside position this week, yeah, I, I don't know that Utah could jump them back even with a dominant win over Oregon. Next so do you think that they might be sitting there in the committee room saying that, yeah, Oklahoma is the fifth best team? And to me, I'm kind of looking at how they moved Baylor from 13 to uh, from week 13 to 14 when they were 14. Yeah, when they were 14 in week 13, and then they moved up to, what were they, number nine this week. And this was pointed out right after the, the, the teams were revealed on ESPN. It almost feels like a correction on the playoff committee where they've saying, you know what, guys, I think we might have blown the last few weeks. We just need to bump Baylor up really high this week to show that to show them a little bit of love, even though we're not maybe positive they're the ninth ranked team. So in using that, do you think they're having that type of discussion where they're saying, yeah, Oklahoma might be the fifth best team. But what you just said, we can't put in there because then we're essentially tipping our head and pigeonholing them and leaving us more uh, or less wiggle room, I guess we could say. Can we learn anything from how they move Baylor so dramatically in this discussion? See, that's what kind of got me thinking about this in the first place because uh, Oklahoma's win at Bedlam does mirror Baylor's win at Texas last week in that it's a relatively parallel win in terms of where the other team was ranked. I think Oklahoma State's a significantly better win, especially I, I do right? too, but when you look at where the teams were ranked in the top 25, it's about how the, the committee viewed them, then okay, Correct. that's fine. Uh, I, but we agree, Oklahoma State is a better team than Texas. Uh, but when you when you look at sort of how that unfolded last week and the jump that Baylor got, you could make a similar argument that, okay, with a similar win to that this week for Oklahoma, Oklahoma could make a jump over Utah. Like that's before we even got on here, I was looking at that and I was thinking about that. But I think when you look at how the committee has acted over the last five years, especially when we get late in the season, I think they favor status quo and giving themselves future options over making aggressive moves early unnecessarily. And that's why I can't wait for, I mentioned this a couple of times, I can't wait for like 10 years down the road when some of these committee members are just out of college football entirely. I know that some of these members haven't really been like 
Like, is Frank Beamer actually in college football right now? Debatable. But I, I can't wait for 10 years from now when a lot of these former ADs, former conference commissioners, former coaches, whoever, are more removed from the game, and we start getting more candid comments about that TCU-Baylor debacle. We can even talk about the, the, the Alabama thing from two years ago. This conversation right here, we could say, did you actually think Oklahoma, if Oklahoma is five or six, was Oklahoma actually the fifth best team in the committee's mind and they didn't want to pigeonhole? Like how, how much do they sit in there and say, God, we cannot put three SEC teams here in the top five, top six, whatever it is. We cannot put a Big Ten team, a Pac-12 team here and there. That's why I can't wait for 10 years from now for some of these guys to actually come out and tell the freaking truth because there is a remarkable lack of transparency. And you and I both agree that if you're in the committee room, that's what you want. I have no, I understand it from their perspective. They don't want to have to answer specific questions about it. And all the committee chairs, I think, have done a pretty good idea. I don't like how much Rob Mullins dodges the questions more so than I think Kirby Hoka did, more so than I think Jeff Long did. And I appreciate that they're put in a tough position, and they're not the ones who, I'm guessing Bill Hancock is sitting, the, the playoff president, and sitting there saying, there can be no transparency. I'm guessing that's his call. That's probably the call of other people above the chair. They don't want to have it and explain each individual conversation about every single team and saying, if this metric is here, if that metric is there, how much of the eye test actually weigh? Is the eye test only 50%? Is it 75%? Is it 10%? They don't want to have to do that, and I get that completely. But still, we need more transparency, and I cannot wait until whatever it is, 5, 10, 15 years down the road, when some of these guys and ladies come out and say, yeah, we were going to put this team here, but I'm going to be honest with you, we could not have three SEC teams in the top four. We could not have three SEC teams in the top five, whatever it is. So anyways, back to the rankings. I want to talk about Baylor here for a second because Baylor is not out. We've kind of just assumed that Baylor is out after that, that debacle versus Oklahoma. But if they look really good versus Oklahoma, they have a shot here. So do you care where Baylor is ranked, and do you think that Baylor will be number 7? Do you think there's any chance in hell they're lower than that, or possibly they're not going to hop Oklahoma, they're not going to hop Utah. So I guess maybe 7 is probably their their max here, but do you think they could be lower than that? Do you think Wisconsin's really impressive win is enough to put Wisconsin at 7, Baylor at 8, or even have Alabama State in front of Baylor? Yeah, I think Alabama's the interesting one, right? Because all year... The committee has showed some deference to Alabama. It, it, this is something we've talked about a lot. Replace Alabama's blind resume with almost any other brand in college football, and I don't think they would be where, where they've been. I don't think they would be at five. So where are they going to fall to now that they have lost to, I think, the two ranked teams that they have played this year? Uh, I wonder if they're going to still be above Baylor. I do it's sort of a cynical position because I don't think there's there's really a, a logical argument that you can make that two loss Alabama with again I think no top twenty five wins right now uh, that they should still be above Baylor. I don't know how you make that argument unless you're an Alabama fan. So I, I think Baylor should be at seven there. But does it matter? Because I think it does. Yeah. You and I have been saying a long time, and everybody else has been saying this too. I had Kirk Herbst on the show last week, and he again pointed out that even though Alabama is five. They're going to get hopped. I mean, if Utah wins, they're going to hop them. Even if Alabama hadn't lost to Auburn, if Utah wins a Pac-12 championship game, they will hop Alabama. If Oklahoma wins a Big 12 championship game, they will hop Alabama. If Minnesota were to have beat Wisconsin and were to have beat Ohio State, they would have hopped Alabama. So Alabama was kind of just a placeholder there. But 
if if Baylor is behind them by one spot, Baylor would hop them if they won the Big Twelve championship game. So let's say that with let's say like the Alabama is seven, Baylor is eight, Wisconsin is nine. I don't think that's how it's going to play out, but Baylor has the chance. If they win, they're going to hop Alabama. So it doesn't matter, right? You're you're both right and you're wrong at the same time. And where you're right is that. It, the whole placeholder argument, Herb Street was 100% right when he said that, I, in my opinion. I think why it does matter is that the committee would be telling you what they think about Baylor if they hold one loss Baylor behind two loss Alabama. Because in theory, there is a set of events where I think Baylor still has a shot to jump all the way up into that fourth spot. If they beat Oklahoma, especially if they beat them convincingly, and then Utah loses the Pac-12 championship game, the two teams in and Georgia loses to LSU. The the three teams in front of them would have lost their conference championship games, and now Baylor's sitting there at eleven and one as a major conference champion. They hypothetically could jump all three of those teams. Now, would that happen? I'm I'm not totally sure, but they could. But if Alabama is in front of them this week, the committee is telling you that they already don't think that much of Baylor, and that would sort of be a confirmation of things that we've already seen this season, that the committee was late to respect Baylor in the first place. I think it's sort of a symbolic understanding that they don't think that highly of Baylor, and even if Baylor were to win next week, they might not move them all the way up to four, even if the other dominoes fall the way that Baylor needs them to. Last thing here on the playoff rankings, and then we'll move on to your wrong. Staying with Baylor, the, the one of the teams that you had mentioned, if Georgia loses to LSU. So I think the high for Baylor this week is seven. I think they maybe maybe they could stay at nine. I would be shocked if they were nine. I'd be pretty surprised if they were eight. I think they'll be seven. So that's still, even if, let's say Georgia loses to LSU by seven, even though LSU is the second team and not the first team in the rankings, the committee has still thought very highly of LSU. If Georgia loses to LSU by seven, Baylor beats Oklahoma by, I don't know, seven. Is that too big of a jump for them? Will Georgia stay ahead of them? It's a good question, and I could see it going either way. So that scenario that you mentioned, um, Utah losing to to Oregon, highly possible. Baylor beating Oklahoma by seven. Georgia losing to LSU by seven. I mean, we're not talking about Baylor just being five and then just flipping with Georgia here. That's why, yeah, I think that you're right here. Where Baylor is ranked, if they were to stay at eight or nine, it absolutely matters. Yeah, I think you're right on that. So even Alabama if seven, being in front of them doesn't actually matter because Baylor would jump them. But it, it's a signal that the committee doesn't think highly of them, and it opens the door for a SEC championship losing Georgia to still be ahead of them. And we're not running through crazy scenarios that gets Wisconsin into the playoff here. We're talking about Georgia losing to LSU by seven. Right, which like seems, this is a likely scenario. I haven't looked to see if the line came out for that game, but I, I would have guessed it would be LSU around that, right? It's probably going to be LSU, what, minus five to seven, maybe eight at the most? That's a tough one to so gauge. So it's going to be right. I guess my, we'll talk about more of that more of that on the midweek episode. But it'll be right in that ballpark, right? I would think. But championship games are always tough to gauge because a lot of people like to take the dog for like the close game theory, even if you know normally they would back a, a big public team like LSU. So it, that's a little tougher to gauge in, in terms of where the number is going to be. But yeah, I would think it would be. Yeah, I, I guess my point is here is that. 
we would think if I said LSU wins that game, I think most people would say they'll win by seven to ten points, which means that Georgia played a pretty decent game against the number two team in the country. So, I mean, this scenario seems highly possible. Utah loses to Oregon. I think Utah probably will be favoring that game. If I had to pick, I would probably take Utah right now, but I wouldn't even feel that great about it. And Baylor basically pounded Oklahoma for, what, 30 to 40 minutes of that game, something like that. So them beating Oklahoma is not that crazy. Again, give me Oklahoma in that game, but we're not talking about a scenario in which we're we're searching for things to happen to get some crazy two-loss team in the playoff. Right. This is highly possible that this happens, and we're going to have a very heated discussion between a, a potentially uh, 11 and 2 Georgia versus a 12 and 1 Baylor. This could get interesting. This could get angry. All right, let's play you wrong. What do you got for me this week? All right, here we go. Uh I've got two sort of rounds for you. Uh the traditional you're wrong and then a sort of sub round that I've called actual verifiable facts. So, here we go. Number 1, you're wrong. Uh Farmageddon is the best-named rivalry that nobody actually cares about. <laughs> I'm not going to disagree with that. I love this rivalry so much. Ah, it is not even really a rivalry. I just love saying Farmageddon. It's so clever. Uh, number two, and this is sort of projecting forward now that we're at the end of the regular season. You know, we've given Scott Frost a lot of shit on this podcast, and rightfully so. Uh, but if you look at their schedule next year, Nebraska is 5-7 and seven this year. They're not going to, you know, they didn't hit the six-win bowl eligibility mark. But next year, Nebraska will be 7-0 and and bowl eligible in October. So I just pulled it up. Okay, so Purdue, Central Michigan, South Dakota State, Cincinnati, Northwestern, Illinois, and then you have them obviously beating Rutgers after the bye week. And then they, oh Jesus, then they go into Ohio, Ohio State. I mean, this could be a 7-0, and 7-5 type. But yeah, and then you go quickly, you go to Ohio State, Penn State at home, at Iowa, at Wisconsin, Minnesota at home. Uh, no, I don't have them at 7-0. and I think that they lose to Cincinnati at home. I, as you can attest to, I think South Dakota State is not a team that you can overlook. I guess my point is, they've given me absolutely no reason to think that they can win that many toss-up games. And when I put toss-up games in there, I'd probably even put Purdue in there. Give me South Dakota State as a toss-up game. Give me Cincinnati as a toss-up game. And we don't have a damn clue what Northwestern is going to do. I think they'll beat Illinois at home. Even though Central Michigan looked pretty good in year one or McIlwain, I'm still taking them in that game comfortably. But in their first seven games, they have four toss-up games. What has Nebraska shown us to say that they can win A, one toss-up game, or B, four toss-up games? How many teams do you think you could identify where you could think, okay, they could go 7-0, and but you could also think, totally fairly, they might lose to that FCS team? Honestly, Minnesota this year. They should have lost the FCS team. We were all looking before the season started. They should have lost that. I mean, they should have lost all three of their their non conference games against your inferior opponents, and all of a sudden they're they're eight and zero with that Penn State game. And that that was, I mean, that's actually a really similar comparison here because at the beginning of the season, Minnesota was kind of this trendy pick to to go eight and zero to be in that West race. But in the beginning of the season, they looked so terrible that we're all saying there's no way that's going to happen. And then suddenly that happens, and Nebraska has a really similar schedule. It's almost an identical type of schedule. I thought Fresno State was going to be a hell of a lot better than they were this year. turns out they weren't very good. And then same with Cincinnati. I think that Cincinnati is going to be a pretty good team next year. Assuming that Luke Fickle stays on for at least another year, I would think that they're going to be pretty good. So it's a pretty similar schedule. And then you kind of have at Northwestern, I mean, Minnesota played like a Nebraska team we thought was going to be better. Uh, They played at a Purdue team, so maybe that's like the Purdue game. 
So there, I, no, I don't think Nebraska is going to be going seven and zero. To say that you're wrong. Do you think they'll be bowl eligible next year? I don't care. <laughs> I kind of thought that might be your. Answer. I mean, do you care? Like, if 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 Scott Frost goes six and six next year, that doesn't I, move the meter for me a lot emotionally. No, I don't. I, don't I would honestly put him on the friggin' hot seat. It's six and six next year. You're, I would you're put him three, on the warm seat. I don't know. About okay, the hot fine. Seat. Yeah, I would say that. I would say we can start having the conversation that would start having the conversation. Sure. I'm a big year three guy. I think when you're in year three and you're you should, not beating the team got that your you own should be guys beating, in there, you've had a couple years with them. Yeah, agree. You have two full recruiting classes. The one that you come in obviously doesn't count, and then the two more. So yeah, I mean, if, if Scott Frost goes six and six next year, we're gonna have a lot of content on this podcast. Alabama after the rankings come out on Tuesday, Alabama should fall an additional spot for every complaint that Nick Saban had after this weekend's game against Auburn. This is something we were just talking about before the show. I think that, and I think you agree with me here, the complaint at the end of the half with the whole the whole clock debacle, that was very legit. They got totally screwed on that game. They should not have gotten the three extra points, and whoops, it came back to haunt them. The complaint about the substitution thing was idiotic. That is your own damn fault. Auburn just outcoached you there. Just admit it that Gus Malzahn outcoached you. So yeah, let's drop them maybe every, five spots for every complaint. Let's penalize them. I mean, they've been rewarded this entire time for having the Alabama name recognition. It's time we punish them. You know, like, hey, man, it's I don't want to hear about the rich guy complaining on the day the stock market goes down. You know, like, I get it. You you might even have, like, a real complaint here, but you've got it pretty good. You know, <laughs> you've you've gotten the bounces up till now, so I don't really feel bad for you. Well, that's why what makes Succession such a fantastic show is it's hard to care about a rich person's problems. Like, oh, you're rich, you're good looking. Why would I give a shit about your problems? But they make it work in that show. It's extremely rare. Not many shows can do that, and they make it work. That's what makes it a phenomenal show. We so yeah, I don't care about Succession podcast. I would be fine with that. So I don't care about Nick Saban's problems. That it's unfair. He had a beef at the end of the half. I get it. As we talked about before the show. The whole press conference shtick that he does all year round saying, you actually think our team is good, you idiots are not that good. That's just part of his whole deal of motivating his team. There are 75 teams in college football better than us. So I don't care about that part of it at all. No, I don't either. The Calling the, the punter substitution unfair, you substituted. You put your punt team on there, and then you saw Gus Malzahn outcoach you and left Bo Nix on the field. That is your own damn fault. Agree. Real quick, uh... Which show is better, Succession or The Office? The Office is more rewatchable. I don't know if I'll go back through and watch Succession again. Will you? Probably once, yeah. I, I mean, I'm not going to say never, maybe five years down the road, but I don't. Ha- like, when I watched Breaking Bad for the first time, I knew that when it was done, I wasn't going to rewatch it because I loved it so much, and that lasted about six months, and I've rewatched it, I think, three times in the last like two months. So it's not that type of show where I know that when it's over, I'm not going to rewatch it because it's so good. It's really good, but I'm probably still not going to rewatch it. It has lulls. Uh, last last one in your wrong. If Chris Chuganoff started next week's Big Ten championship game for Ohio State instead of Justin Fields, uh, Ohio State would still be a double-digit favorite over Wisconsin. What do you think they'll be? I think it'll be around 14 with Fields. Maybe 14 and a half. I think the hook could be big. You think it would only drop four with him, with him out? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. 
I think odds makers, for the most part, care very little about individual players. And I'm trying to disagree with you here, but I don't think I can. I, I, I think actually Wisconsin's offense is is it's not hard for Ohio State, but in that if if Ohio State gets a pass rush, they can still get rid of the ball quickly. I mean, against Minnesota, that was a rarity. Them throwing downfield. I mean, Jack Cohn averaged like 20 yards per completion in that game. That was different. They don't do that. They throw the ball five, six, seven yards. They get the ball quickly. So I get that like they could neutralize Chase Young, and it wouldn't really matter who was on offense for Ohio State because J.K. Dobbins is still going to probably have a nice game. See, I mean, I don't know. I think they'd probably be like an eight to nine point favor, but I like your point. All right, a couple more here. This is in my actual verifiable facts section. So this is no longer opinions. These are actual things that we know the answer to okay so basically they're true or false questions true or false tcu finished in the bottom two of the big 12 this year that's a tough question because like a neutral field if you put them in west virginia i'm saying if you looked at the rankings right now did they finish in the bottom two i don't even know i don't think i looked at the bottom of the big 12 in the last few weeks take a stab uh no, because they went two and one in non conference. They won they went three and six in the Big Twelve, right? They did go three and six. West Virginia won three, right? They did. They did. Texas Tech won two. Texas Tech beat Oklahoma State, Kansas. Am I missing one? Did Texas Tech finish two and seven or three and six? They finished two and seven. So they're in the bottom two. Who, Texas just give Tech me or... T- just give me TCU's Big Twelve record. Uh, they're three and six. Yeah, right. So it was Texas Tech and Kansas. Texas Tech and Kansas. TCU finished eighth though. So not a great year for Gary Patterson and them, but he usually bounces back. Maybe we should talk about that in the off season. Yeah, we might. Gary need to. Patterson's inconsistency. Yeah, they have. It's kind of like Mark D'Antonio, where you have the eleven win seasons, you have the twelve win seasons. You're in playoff contention every few years, but your down years are friggin' ugly. Yeah. Uh, another another true or false here. This one's a little more fun. If you pl- true or false, if you placed a hundred dollars on whatever team played against Akron this year, you would currently have twelve hundred dollars. Rolled it over games. and bet it all, or just a hundred dollars on each game. I'm saying a hundred dollars on each of the twelve games. You would currently have twelve hundred dollars. True or false? What are the betting odds? Am I, am I overcomplicating this question? Yes. So, like, you bet the spread against Akron every week, bet $100 to make $100, you would have gone 12-0 and and beat up $1,200, true or false? Well, yeah, because they didn't win yesterday, right? They didn't, but we're talking about the spread, not straight oh, up Oh, the wins. spread. Oh, I yeah. have no idea. I, I don't look at Akron spreads. Just give me the answer. You definitely should. Did they go 0-12 against the spread? They went 1-11 against the spread this year. Jesus Christ. Bring Bowden back. I don't know if I've ever seen anything like it. I mean, it's, it's, back. it's one thing to be bad, but usually when you talk about spreads, like if you're like 0-8, by the end of October, books have overcorrected trying to get people to bet on you, and they usually have a good November. But no, 1-11, it's incredible. Do you know if anybody's ever gone 0-12 against the spread? I'm sure it's happened. but Or 12-0? Oh, I'm sure 12-0 has probably happened, yeah. But... I yeah. wonder if UCF if you two get to years like ago, ten and two or two and ten. Either way, it's kind of it's kind of weird. Yeah. All La- right. Last one here. How many ACC teams do you think won more conference games than they lost this year? There's 14 teams in the ACC. 
14 teams in the ACC. This is a tough one because I don't stare at the standings all that often. Yeah, but this is more about feeling to me. Okay, so Clemson is in there. Clemson's the obvious one. Virginia's in there. Virginia Tech is in there. Okay. Did Louisville, they lost. So Louisville finished, they were five. They finished five. No, Louisville lost to Kentucky. So yeah, Louisville was, they went, they went, they went five and three. They went five and three. Most positive. Yep. Right. Because so them and Virginia Tech both went five and three. Correct. And then who's not in there? I know NC State's not in there. I know Syracuse isn't in there. Duke's not in there. Georgia Tech's not in there. And then I think you have that mess of 500 teams because before the last couple of weeks, we ran through scenarios in which we had like a seven-way tie for the Coastal. So <laughs> I I don't even know. So who, who would I have left? I have Wake Forest no, you left. Got it. That That's, it's four. There's only four. Oh, there's only four. I thought yeah. there might have been one more only from four. that group of, of Wake, Florida Louisville, State, Boston. UVA, Virginia Tech. Four teams were north of 500 in conference play in the ACC. Right, because Wake lost, so that's 500. So then is Florida State 500 too? Florida State was either 500 or below 500, yeah. Here. I think they were 500. Yeah, 500, Wake, Florida State, Boston College. It's it's amazing. Miami, Pitt, North Carolina. So only four teams, and it's compared to other conferences here. In the Big 12, uh, six teams finished above 500 in, in the with, conference. With 10 teams in the conference, six of 10. In the ACC, it was 4 of 14. Big 10, they had 4 alone in the East, and they had 3 in the West, so that's 7 of 14. Uh, who else we got? The SEC was Georgia finished above 500, Florida, Tennessee, so that's 3, LSU, Alabama, and Auburn. Eh, 6 of 14, less than half, still not too bad. Pac-12, Pac-12 is actually 3 of 12. I didn't realize that. Uh, yeah, because Oregon State was five hundred before the law, the Civil War loss. North they finished mess, four and five, and then the South. All you have is Utah and uh, USC at seven and two. What do you think of the USC is going to retain Clay, Hel- Clay Helton report? I think that's just a colossal mistake. I I don't hate it. I mean, I I think. Do you hate it not for here? Which part do you not hate it from? Do you actually think that Clay Helton's a guy, or you don't think it's worth? firing him and we don't know what the actual buyout is but apparently it's around like 12 to 15 million dollars and then you're paying the next guy you better hit a friggin' home run for that you're paying him five to six million dollars so you I'm hate sure, it from i'm sure the money is part of it but i think when you just forget about all the noise and all the secondary factors if you look at the coaching job he did this year with a roster that was just absolute garbage after all the injuries they suffered the fact that they're going to finish the year in the college football playoff top 25 kind of a minor miracle so I think he actually did a sneaky good coaching job in October and November. And if they avoid that that BYU loss, they lost to Notre Dame by what three? I think because they scored that late. Yeah, twenty twenty seven to thirty. So I know that's a stupid game to play. We could be sitting here saying, yeah, if they won those two games, they'd be ten and two. But if they won those two games, they could be ten and two. And then I don't think there's really that much of an argument for firing Clay Helton. I agree. But still, new AD, we have no idea. Do you have any more, or do you want to move on to who would they hire? Let's move on. So yeah, usually we play who would they hire, but we're going to flip it to who will they hire uh, slash who should they hire. Because Missouri can bury Odom on Saturday morning. He's done four seasons. This is a Missouri guy. He played at Missouri. He came up in the coaching ranks under Gary Pinkle. He spent, looking at his resume again, he spent all but three years of his college coaching career at Mizzou, but he went 500, 25, 25, and four seasons. Increased their win total last two years, uh, but then down to six this year. The buyout is low, a little bit less than $3 million, plus those smaller staff buyouts. He was only making $3 million a year. So this isn't, I mean, speaking of Clay Houghton, this isn't a coaching search 
for a program that just blew, you know, four, five, six million dollars per per year on a fire coach and another ten, twelve million dollars, whatever, on a buyout. So at least Missouri has that part of it. What Missouri doesn't have is a very good job here. It's not a great, attractive job. It's not a bad job by any means. You're still in the SEC that is still attractive to some people. You're in an okay recruiting area, not great. The university has been plagued by all sorts of problems the last several years now. AD Jim Sterk, he is in year four, I think. I think he came there right before Odom's first season in 2016. So he's actually never hired a football coach at Mizzou. Odom was hired as the full-time guy right before he got there. Uh, Jim Sterk also, this is kind of notable, he also never hired a coach as last stop San Diego State. So he hasn't hired a coach since he brought Mike Leach aboard at Washington State uh, 11 years ago. Again, all that stuff, take it for whatever you want. First of all, let's just mention it. Sure, I think Mike Leach could be in play here. Jim Sterk knew what he was getting in Mike Leach when he hired him at Washington State. He knows what he's getting in Mike Leach if he were to hire him to Missouri. He's getting all the -the off-the-field stuff that, frankly, I think is getting kind of old. But you're getting a guy that's going to win you 7, 8, 9, 10 games quite often, maybe occasionally compete for the divisional title. I mean, Leach has entertained those offers before. He probably would have been a Tennessee coach right now if not for the whole Bill Curry flight debacle. So, yeah, that, that wouldn't surprise me one. First of all, would Mike Leach surprise you one bit to Mizzou? I don't, it, it wouldn't in that 11 years feels like a long time for Mike Leach to be anywhere. I didn't, I didn't realize it had been that long. Yeah. 2009, he came there in December of 08. Yeah. So I think 11 years, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him move on. I would be interested to see Mike Leach in the SEC. That That's an interesting uh, mixture of styles that, that maybe you wouldn't it expect. It feels like a novelty. I mean, we talked a lot about how that Texas LSU game felt like the novelty game of the year this year. Mike Leach in the SEC feels like a novelty for whatever reason. Yeah, and, and I could see it going well. I could see him finding some success in the SEC East, and I could also see it being a spectacular failure. Yeah, I think Leach would get his SEC job. He gets a job that's better than Washington State. Still not a great job, but yeah, I think Mike Leach could be on the list. But Chase, I have one guy that I think is the guy. I think he'd be a great hire. I think he's attainable. He's affordable. I'm very curious if you have the same guy. Does anybody I, I promise you I you? don't. <laughs> so Who sticks out to you then? I want to hear you go first. I think you should go first on this one because I have sort of an addendum to add to the conversation, but I don't think he's going to be the guy. Fair enough. Willie Fritz is their guy. I think geographically it makes sense. He was the guy as soon as he was fired that came into my that came into my mind. Spent like two decades coaching high school football, uh, JUCO D two in Kansas City, Kansas, Missouri, that whole region. He's won everywhere. He's won in brutally tough places. I don't think Columbia kind of falls into that brutally tough place, but it's still one of the harder jobs in the conference. He's won at all levels. He's won with lesser talent. He's recruited well. His staff runs this. this God, I'm in love with his his option system. It's not it's run heavy, but it's not this option system that everybody thinks it is, where it's pound the rock sixty times that type of deal. He's their guy. Willie Fritz is absolutely Mizzou's guy. But if he's not, I think like a couple former assistants, Josh Heupel, David Yost get calls. But this kind of falls into the bucket of you just fired Barry Odom for going five hundred last year. They won eight games, so you damn well better find the guy that can do better than than Heupel, maybe better than Yost, wild card. I think it's Willie Fritz. I think he is the guy they should target. I think he is the guy they will target. I don't know if they'll actually hire him. I would hire him in one second. I've been pushing him for every damn job that's come open. I think Willie Fritz is the guy there. Who do you got? Okay, so uh, just uh, let me sort of set the table here. I, I think Willie Fritz is a, is a great choice by you. I think Missouri is going to take a really big swing at some of these guys that we've talked about all years. The candidates 
who we sort of know collectively are the next crop of Power 5 coaches. I think they're going to take a really good run at them. And one of the reasons I think that is because if you look at the statement that Missouri put out when they fired Barry Odom, they said, you know, we had a, we had some new projects. They, they didn't just say, like, we thank Barry Odom for, you know, his time and, and his devotion to improving, you know, University of Missouri athletics, blah, 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 blah. They specifically said, and this, this is something you don't always see, they specifically said, you know, we had some new capital projects. We had an end zone project open up at the beginning of this football season. We had some other strategic investments. We had a lot of energy in the program. And now at the end of the season, we feel like a lot of that has been wasted. He said like something about momentum too. We feel like we had a lot of momentum going into the season. Yeah. Now we don't. Right. So they, they, they're ready to spend money, it sounds like, to me. So I think they're going to go after a big fish. To your point, I think that's why Willie Fritz might be at the top of the list here. But I think— Do you consider Willie Fritz to be a big fish, though? I don't at all. I think right now, if you look at the coaching candidates who are going to be the next guys, yeah, I think he's up there. I think he'll be their backup guy. He would be damn near the top of the list for me because I think they're going to strike out on any other big coach they go after unless they're offering $6, 7000000 million a year. I don't think they're going to do that. Are they really going to double— the salary? I don't think they're going to double it. I think they might go to four or five. Yeah. Who's going to accept that offer then? Who's the big fish? Are you looking at Mike Norvell? Maybe. I just I don't see Mike Norvell taking that job. Why, I don't why either. On earth which would is you why take I think Willie Fritz is the guy. I mean, Arkansas is a better job. We agree with that, right? I don't know. I think there are I think there are aspects to Missouri that you can like. I think you have an easier path to the SEC title game in Missouri. That's fair. Is Missouri a more? This is a bizarre question. Is Missouri a more attractive job right now for a? Let's say a coach wants to get one of the top ten jobs in the country. Because a lot of coaches are after that. They want one of the top five or ten jobs in the country. Let's say Mike Norvell is that guy. He doesn't seem like he's that guy, but let's just say he's that guy. In order to get there, would he rather take Missouri, Arkansas, or Florida State? Because Florida State can be a top 10 job. It can be. It's not It's not anywhere near that right now. Not even right. close. But we at least know that it can be. We've seen it be that Right. Before. So if Mike Norvell wants, I think Texas is probably a top 10 job. Let's say Mike Norvell wants Texas. Does he stay at Memphis until Texas opens and goes from Memphis to Texas, which seems like an unlikely jump. I don't know if they would probably do that. Or would he take one of those three jobs? Which of those three jobs gives him the better chance to get to Texas? I would say... Missouri, right? It's insane to think that. Because I don't think it's the Florida best State, job. You have to go through Clemson, but it's the better. It's the better launch pad for it, right? I mean, if you win ten game at ten games at Missouri and you're in the the SEC, I can't imagine what if Gary Pinkle was like fifteen years younger. I think when Gary Pinkle was doing that, when they had just got into the SEC, he was somewhere in his fifties. I can't remember how old he was. Mike Norvell's not even forty yet. So let's say Gary Pinkle was fifteen years younger. And doing what he did at Missouri in those last days in the Big 12 and those early days in the SEC, his coaching stock would have been through the roof. I bet guys were still, programs were still calling him. But can you imagine if he, that was basically Mike Norvell in that job? He could have had almost any job in the country. But what you'd have to do at Florida State to to get in a position to get one of those top 10 jobs isn't, that question seems crazy to me. Yeah, if you had to take one of those three jobs. If you win eight wins at Missouri, I feel like that's better than winning nine wins at Florida State. Am I crazy? Like, No, and I think that 
I think, yeah, I think, again, it comes down to a launching pad because so many coaches, whether or not fans want to believe it, and again, I don't think Mike Norvell's that guy. How long he stayed at Memphis, I don't think he's that type of guy. Like, Tom Herman was that guy. So if Tom Herman was at Memphis or still at Houston right now, I could see him taking a job like Missouri because Arkansas is a long ways away from doing anything. Missouri is a ways, but not as far, I don't think. You have to beat so many good teams to be in the top half of the SEC West standings. I think the ceiling could be higher at Arkansas and Florida State, but if you want that launching pad, you I mean, if Seth Luttrell wants to be at Texas in three years, this year was weird for North Texas, so his stock has just plummeted, but still, Seth Luttrell might consider taking Missouri over a Florida State. I don't think he's getting offered any of these jobs, but I think he would maybe consider taking a Missouri over an Arkansas over Florida State. But but does Missouri want that guy? Do they want the guy that, that could be there for 10 years? Again, who's the big... Who's the big fish, though? That's what I struggle with here. I don't see a semi-attainable big fish for them. Maybe not. Can I give you my not big fish? Please. Is it completely unrealistic and it'll never happen? I don't think it's completely unrealistic. If anything, I think it's it's maybe aiming too low. It better not be Lane Kiffin again. No, it's not Lane Kiffin. Who is it? Missouri alum was a GA there. Hasn't had a head coaching position in almost 10 years. But maybe this is the time where he wants to step back into a head coaching position because it's been long enough Dave Christensen? that people have forgotten why he stopped being a head coach in the first place. Jim Levitt. USF. Yeah. Late aughts. He's not doing anything this year, is he? He is a quality control analyst at Florida State. He is way off the radar right now. And I think he's way off the radar because he wants to be. But you don't go way off the... I mean, I, I don't want to say that, but I think for a lot of people, you don't go way off the radar unless you eventually want to come back onto the radar. Missouri can do so much better. They can do so much better, but... So why would he... He's not a big fish. Right, though. he's not. And he doesn't fit any of the things I just said, which is why I don't think he's going to be the guy. But I do think it's a name worth mentioning if we're going to have this conversation. I don't think he'll be the guy. I could see him being a defensive coordinator for whoever that guy is. Sure. I mean, Willie Fritz will bring his own staff probably because a lot of them followed him. But let's say they do get Mike Norvell. Let's say they pull a rabbit out of their ass and they somehow get Mike Norvell and he needs to rebuild his staff or something. Yeah, maybe. I mean, he's, Jim Leva has spent a lot. I mean, he was supposed to be the Kansas State head coach. Remember that? Like, he was mm-hmm. he was the guy. They were going to hire him from Colorado to be the coach and waiting. Bill Snyder said no. So then Kansas State just listened to Bill Snyder and said, okay. <laughs> And they ended up with a better coach. Yeah, they ended up with a better coach in Chris Kleiman, so it worked out fine. Yeah. But I don't see Jim Levitt being in that conversation God, at Kleiman's all. Kleiman's so good. Uh, one more note on this conversation that I think is worth mentioning about Barry Odom. So where's Barry Odom going to end up, right? Well, Because his resume doesn't have really anything but Mizzou. Correct. But there is one line on there that I think is important, which is he spent a couple years before he went back to Missouri in 2015. He's not going to Memphis. I don't think he's going to Memphis. But he was at Memphis as the D.C. And when he was at Memphis, he was the defensive coordinator under Justin Fuente. Uh I see see where I'm going with this now, huh? Sure, Bud's done. Bud Foster is retiring. Virginia Tech's going to need a defensive coordinator. They have a plan in place. I'm sure they do, but, you know. Do you think that plan was like, hey, if Barry Odom retires... No battle plan survives first contact with the enemy, right? I don't hate it, but I, I would imagine that Virginia Tech has a plan. Because when did... This came out that Bud Foster was retiring, what, like almost a year ago? It was a while ago, yeah. And Justin Fuente probably knew before then, so I'm guessing they have a plan in place. Yeah, and and I'm guessing, 
I might go so far as to say that when he was hired in Blacksburg, <laughs> Bud Foster might have said, hey, man, I'm going to be here. I'm, I'm going to get you started. I'm not going to be here for another 15 years. Like, so don't don't count on me. All right. You heard it here first. Barry Odom, Blacksburg. I think he gets Bud an interview. Foster. I don't think he takes that job. I would take any bet that you want that he will not be D.C. at Virginia Tech. I don't know what he'll do. He's still young. The resume is fine. I don't know what he'll do. All right. Again, a new episode on Tuesday night. Right after the playoff rankings come out, it'll be Eddie George, and then Chase will be back. If you hit that subscribe button on whatever app you're using, that will get downloaded immediately. Thanks for dropping by again. We'd love to have you back later this week for that midweek episode of the High Motor Podcast. (laughs) 